This is David and Addy on the run on Red Radio. In the summer of 2013, after George Zimmerman's acquittal for the shooting death of Trayvon Martin, the Black Lives Movement began with the hashtag, obviously hashtag Black Lives Matter. The movement was co-founded by three black community organizers, Alicia Gaza, Patrice Kulas, and Opal Tometi. So, okay, that's just a little introduction. What do you guys think about the Black Lives Matter movement? What is it for those of us who don't know? And why is it important? Let's start off with Chloe. So the Black Lives Matter movement is basically to highlight the injustice of um, racism within yeah. the police force in the U.S., police brutality, the thousands of lives that have been taken of innocent Black people, um, and just to highlight that all lives matter will not matter until Black Lives Matter. Because in the U.S., Black lives don't matter. And yeah, that's pretty okay. much it. But why is that relevant here? Like, wh- why why is that movement relevant here, and why is the hashtag relevant in South Africa? I mean, well, I mean, I'm sure you've heard there are some cases in South Africa of police brutality, but I think yeah. this whole racism within the police force starts on a, a minor note. It starts with racism in your close community. It starts with these little conversations, these little um, assumptions. Comments. And, yeah. yeah, comments. And, and those, that mindset, and the truth is, I think, racism in itself isn't just hate that's one manifestation of it but it, it can come in so many different forms it's very it can be subconscious we're born into this world and it, we're not born with racism but in like it's inevitable almost and yeah. that's what we face in our close community so it's important to change that absolutely sims for me why it's like really relevant here is because there's this thing, I think there's this misconception that there's a difference between an American black person and a South African black person. But meanwhile, black is black. It doesn't matter where you're living. So I feel yeah. like we're yeah. all fighting for the same purpose, for the same injustice. So it doesn't matter where you're living. And also, as Chloe like mentioned, yes, we see racism happening here. And it's been so prevalent here. But it hasn't been that vivid as much as South, I mean, America. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to also speak on our racist um, things that are happening here, if you yeah. get what I'm saying. But yeah. I get you. It's just, yeah. But then, yeah. okay, so, I mean, we can, okay, so we talk about Black Lives Matter and we use the hashtag and everything, but when we look within a South African context, most of the murders that happen in South Africa are black-on-black murders, and most of the murders that happen in the U.S. are black-on-black murders. So what would you say to the argument that says we're focusing on the wrong things? Keely? I mean, I think it's an interesting question, um, especially in South African context as well, but I think that it's not necessarily just a a single black-on-black murder. I think it's the fact that the whole system is based on being advantageous to white people and disadvantageous to black people, and I think that that is really where this stems from and obviously you know every single murder counts for something and every single person's life counts for something but I think that it's important to know that it's based on a system and that that's where you know white privilege comes from Mm. and um yeah I think that that's important to take note it's not necessarily the person who is killing the other person necessarily has to be a white person for it to be a you know a racist yeah. action. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ali, would you like to add anything to that? 
Um, so just upon a little bit of research, I actually, I, I wasn't even aware in my ignorance that there was a blacklivesmatter.com and it, you can go on there and there are petitions you can sign. There are places where you can donate. It's pretty much the place you want to be if you want to be active in this whole campaign and this movement. Yeah. And so as you go onto the homepage, it says, this was obviously created on the 13th of July, 2013, where it comes from, where it's originated. And then right at the end, it says, um, this platform is used to combat violence and it is used to create a space for black imagination, imagination and to center black joy. And only when that has become a reality can we eradicate white supremacy, which I just think yeah. speaks so many volumes. And I think that's yeah. a really important concept which people need to start realizing needs to start happening. The frustration that I have, right, mm. um, is that, you know, we see these we see these murders happening and then there's an uproar on social media and yeah. it feels like something is happening. And then, like, three weeks later, we're, the next we're, back, thing we're back to normal life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, for me, coming as, from a black person, it's really, really draining. And that's why, like, even thinking about the show, I was not looking forward to the show at all. Mm. Because just in my, from my own experience, like, I've just been drained the past few days, you know. Just talking about this so much and, you know, you're trying to let people know what's happening, trying to let people know how you feel. But I don't think that anyone who's not of color or anyone who's non-black will ever understand why, you know, why people are protesting so much, why people are rioting, which is something Mm -hmm. that we're going to get into if they don't ask the questions and if they don't have that conversation. I'm with you 100%. I'm 100% with you there, Dave. I think... It, it kind of boils down to empathy and sympathy in a sense, because I can stand with you. I can 100% be by your side. I can fight. I can be in the protest supporting Black Lives Matter. Yeah. But I will never understand what it means to be someone who is non-white. I will never I understand guess. what it means to be a person of color. And yeah. so I think it's really important, like you said, to have conversations, um, to, to educate yourself. I can't put it out there in enough words, in enough ways that education is so important in this time, especially as a white person. Because I think everyone has a a vague idea of what racism is. But if you actually just type into the Google search bar racism or articles on racism or podcasts on racism, it opens up a whole new world and a whole new perspective. And I think a lot of white people aren't actually educating themselves on the situation. And I think it's amazing that we have people taking to social media and being active. But what concerns me are people taking to social media from a place of I want change or are people taking to social media in a, in a sense of this will look good for me. This is what I can do to do my bit, but it's not actually proactive. And yeah. so that's, that's just my little two cents and my opinion on this whole situation. Um, Simps, you have a point. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I feel like as a society, we are just overcomplicating racism. It's very simple. The thing that we need to educate ourselves on is how we can help mitigate racism. I think that's the problem here. It's because I feel we tell people, no, this is wrong. But then they say, but. I think that's the problem. That's what's the problem. Complicating racism and it's it's not complex listen educating us educate yourself on how to mitigate the problem that's that's my opinion on just mm. and chloe um and i think what david's 
David brought up a point. He said people only on it for three weeks and then they move on with their yeah. lives. And I think that the reason people do that is because people aren't fully understanding the severity of this issue. I mean, I think I knew, and I was, I knew there was police brutality based on race in the U.S., but I don't think even me, I, I knew the extent to, to mm -hmm. how common it was. These things are happening every single day. And yeah. although not each one results in death, people are being racially profiled. I mean, you see these yeah. videos of people being tased, beat up for no reason. Thank goodness their lives weren't taken. But um, the severity isn't shown. And I think specifically, you're learning about this in history, for example. You learn about the civil rights movement and it's like, oh, it's over. It's the 60s, 64, yeah. 68. That's when the movement, that's yeah. over, you know? And you're like, oh, it's in the yeah. past, thank goodness. But yeah. it's not it's still happening every day. And although we don't like to call it, it's, it's lynching. Yeah. It's happening every day. Yeah. I think something that's interesting is, um, I mean, as an IEB student, we learn about apartheid in grade 11. And when you're learning about it, you kind of go, well, why am I only learning about this when I'm 16 or 17 years old? I mean, I live in the country. Surely I should be educated on this when I'm, I don't know, 10, 11. But it's really, really weird because I sit in the classroom and I hear about the brutality of the police. I hear about the, the ignorance of the government. And I think, but that will never happen because that was 25 years ago. And I live in a different yeah. South Africa now. And I'm gonna, it's, it's so yeah. hard for me to yeah. imagine that once was a reality for people. I'm going to push so back I on that because I don't think that learning about apartheid in history, I don't think that any of the content that we learn about in history has a direct impact on mitigating racism within private schools. Yeah. I think that if we just look at... Um, the IEB, the IEB, you know, schools around South Africa, around Johannesburg, all of these schools that have the IEB syllabus, all of these students, all of these white students that are learning history, you know, these students still choose to be racist. These students still yeah. choose to, you know, they'll get A's in history and they'll get A's studying apartheid, but that doesn't actually do anything for changing their minds um, about racism, for changing their minds about the N-word, for changing their minds about um, white privilege. You know, it's almost as if, okay, we learn apartheid, it happened 26 years ago, now we're studying it, but it has no emotional impact on us. So I don't think that studying history is, is directly beneficial in, in, in this context, but that's just, that's just coming, from, coming from me. Chloe, I know you wanted to add on that. Um, I was just going to call on Ali's point, and what's so interesting is that yeah, we learn about the specifics of like the movement in maybe apartheid mm. at like our age. But what's so sad is that most black kids learn this as soon as they can speak. They mm. have to learn how they're going to be treated and how they have to react to these situations. Like as soon as we're born, we have to know the situation. Otherwise, you're going to you're going to die. You know, you have the risk of your yeah. life. So, yeah. Which, again, is something that I will never be able to understand as a white person. And mm. every day I think. It's important to acknowledge that and accept that and try yeah. and work out a way in which you can challenge that and, yeah. and find a long-term solution. I'm so hell-bent on a long-term solution. But Killy, I know you had a point. Hi, sorry. Um, I also just like wanted to add as well, you know, when I was in high school, my, my mentality was just get the work done, <laughs> memorize it, write a test and get yeah. an A, you know. And, yeah. you know, often, especially with history, you're not actually thinking about what you're learning and what you're learning is your country's history and the fact that what happened and it for some people it just sounds like a booklet that you have to memorize and it's not actually yeah, an education other than that and I think that that's something that you know when you are in grade 11 it's obviously 
placed there by the IEB as a as a way of you Getting being mature person. enough. That, mm. but also like you being mature enough now to actually digest the information. But people don't, and I think that that's why people don't change. And I think, on top of having the environment of a mainly private school with wealthy people, and you know, private schools in Joburg are, you know, a lot of it is a is white communities and things. And you know, people don't take what they learn about, specifically in history, and take yeah. it out to the outside societies and realize that you know that happened then, and we shouldn't be doing it now. Because it's like two separate things. And I think, mm. that, you know, you should be learning what, you know, in the classroom and applying it to outside. Yeah. Let, me ask you, let me ask you something. Do you think that there is any course in the IB, whether it be ALO, history or whatever, that somewhat teaches um, children about the systematic racism that is in private schools, that is in our greatest Africa? Do you think there is any knowledge of that, any education about in our system? No, I absolutely don't think there is. I mean, I kind of only learned about you know, systematic racism and how to actually effectively change it and how I can use my my words and how I can do that actively when I got to university. And not because mm. I was taught it, but because I was put in an environment where it wasn't rich, wealthy white people everywhere. 100%. And I think that that is something that, you know, everybody needs to be taught. And I think that, you know, LO specifically should be a subject where you do learn about that stuff or in history it should be emphasized that this isn't a booklet to be memorized yeah. or you know or things like that or you know even learning it in biology and you know some people think that you know different races are completely different biologically when you're not you're human beings yeah. and I think mm-hmm. that like it needs to be reinforced within many subjects and you know you know in history bring up or in English bring up famous black poets and famous black writers because I can tell you right now I looked back at my poetry section and all of them are white poets <laughs> and things like that and you know black people aren't being celebrated in even the smallest ways in high school and that doesn't teach people to appreciate them yeah and before wow. we before we get to Thomas and then we're going to go to music um just one last thing that I want to touch on is what I found when when you know students are studying alone whether it be my school and other schools is that the level of education that you'll receive in ALO is limited to the demographic of, you know, the people that you're surrounded by. So if you're surrounded by a 70% white class, you know, the conversation is going to sway more towards um, their opinion, you know. So that's why I, I, that's why I have trouble with these ALO conversations is that if I, you know, if I speak up about a conversation, if I speak up about a topic, you know, that's say pro-Black Lives Matter, um, and the, the, the rest of the class, you know, 70% white, will agree with me because that's the politically correct thing to do. Um, yeah. But they won't actually believe what I'm saying. Or on the contrary, for example, I obviously am in the Zulu class. So in Allo, what we found is that our discussions are, you know, a, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more, how do I, how do I put this? Uh, liberal. In, yeah. in, in that aspect you know and that's that's literally something that we found whereas if you go to the 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 because obviously my Zulu class is made up of a lot of people of color whereas if you go to the classes that um aren't you know they they the demographics are mostly white people then the conversation shifts you know and that's where I think the problem is because you're not actually gaining any knowledge do you know what I'm saying um mm. Thomas 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, one of one of the points that that, that I wanted to bring up um, is I think as a society we've become so used to instant gratification and you know there being an outcome for things so quickly. And I think I've seen a lot of people say, "Wow, this movement is really great." You know, when's it going to end? When's it all going to be over? Yeah. And I think um, we we and I think it, it needs to be enforced by so many of us that this is something that needs to be ongoing and something that we need to look at because i mean if you look at at, at if, if, when i'm talking about the movement in terms of social media if you look at social media it's trends and it's upwards and downwards and i think as a society yeah. we need to say when we see it going downwards we need to lift it up and maybe keep it at a, at a constant um absolutely and i think you know it's it's it's, it's important to say that this is not something that's going to be fixed in 20 years time this is not something that's going to be fixed mm -hmm. in 50 years time but um, it's going to be a problem for a very, very long time. But I think yeah. if people can accept, first of all, that this is something that's not going to just go away by posting on social media. It's about keeping on educating yourself. It's about keeping on educating others when you have the time and keeping the conversation going. And I think I think if you can accept that, definitely, then there can be a lot more improvement in the mindset around it, you know. Yeah, I'm I with love what you. you right. Yeah. So I love what you're I saying. Think, yeah. Oh, sorry. Wait, oh. No, you no, go, go for it. it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love what you're saying, Tom, about keeping the conversation going. I do think, however, that it's a lot more difficult than that. I think that uh, in the past we've tried to say keep the conversation going, whether it's about, you know, the men are trash movement, um, what happened last year with the whole uproar. But I think it's very difficult to keep the conversation going. I agree. And I'd love to talk about that more after the break, as well exactly. as we're going to be discussing things like reverse racism and the dynamics of growing up black in a private school. Red Radio. Broadcasting live 24-7. David and Ali on the run. All righty, guys, and we are back for the second round of conversation. And I'd like to start off with Simpiwe. Simps, um, just final thoughts on the last conversation about, you know, conversations in school, whether it's in ALO, whether it's in history. How effective do you think those are? Okay. Um, so I feel like right now there's this thing of this whole thing is a new thing. It's this racism is new. That's how people are acting right now. And I feel like it's partially to blame with the educational system, not knowing how to empathize and now being oblivious to what's happening you know yeah absolutely so that's just on my point mm -hmm. and yeah. since you had one you want you i know you had a point you wanted to bring up in the next segment so i don't yeah. know if you want to take the wheel and drive this one okay sure um so this this question of can black people be racist okay what i'm about to say is backed up with research so i'm not just like saying out of the blue. Let's look at the definition of racism. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Hmm. So let us just digest that. First of all, how can I be racist to a white person when their beliefs and their race is seen to be superior into today's world. Mm -hmm. How can mm. I do that when their culture and and 
and they how can I say just how they are basically has been indoctrinated in our lives as right. Take a look at colorism. Yeah. Right? Take a look at colorism. That's how that's my point. We we can't be racist to and then it says that one's own race is superior. First of all, as we can see, our race is not superior. Yeah. So what basis can we say that you know, how can we be racist to I can't explain. I'm sorry. Like, how can we be racist to an inferior? How can I say an inferior? I think, race? You know I what think, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, you're yeah. coming across. I, I think people understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And then my thing is, black people can be prejudiced. And now let's look at mm. the word prejudice. <laughs> it's pre- a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example. The reason why we are prejudiced is due to all the actions that have been indoctrinated in us. The silence, when we have been silenced. So we have this preconceived opinion of white people due to what has happened in the past, due to apartheid, due to slavery, and more, many more discriminatory um, actions that have happened towards our race. So that's the difference for me. Anyone else want to add? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I think, first of all, when speaking about like racism, I think we're talking about black on white, right? We're talking about can a black person be racist to a white person? Um, and I think, you know, you said the definition of racism, right? But I think it's a little bigger than that, even. I think often people only think it's this, you know, this this hate or something. Racism is like a complex system, you know, of all these like social and political aspects. Mm. You can't dismiss, okay, all because at the hands of like someone of color or something, um, there's occasional mistreatment to white people. You can't you can't compare that to the systematic and institutionalized racism that has Definitely. been that has been pushed for years. Racial prejudice, as some people said, yes, I can say, oh, I don't know, you know, white people can't dance or something, but. But that's not racism, that's racial prejudice, because racism is bigger than simple hate. Yeah. Yeah. That is one manifestation. Yeah. I think where, yeah. uh, you know, I heard, it, I heard it somewhere like this. Um, racism is when the person being racist has the power to affect the life of the person with whom they are, you know, being racist towards. So has the power to affect their mental health, has the power to... Um, affect their standard of living, which is where we get into the conversation of institutionalized racism. Um, and I also, I also think this conversation about the BE is very, is very interesting mm. because I do know that there is opposition uh, to the system of the BEE at, on, you know, by a white perspective that the BEE is not a fair practice because it does not give equal opportunity to all. Um, yeah. so what would you, what would you have to say on those lines? Oh, thank you. Um, well, I think, I mean, I completely agree with all of you. You know, as a white person, I can completely agree that reverse racism is not a thing at all. And I think that, you know, yeah, there's a difference between racism and prejudice. But regarding the BEE and, you know, people now saying that it now gives unequal, you know, opportunities for white people to, you know, you know, get a job or get to university and things like that. But the thing is, is that, you know, for so many years, 
people of color and black people have haven't had that opportunity and now they are disadvantaged now and that is exactly what the BE is supposed to do to be able to enable them to be able to affect change and to be able to get education and the jobs that they need to empower themselves and I think I'm fully supportive of the BE program because it now needs to because of the disadvantage that people of color and black people have, have had for so long this is a stepping stone to making sure that they are higher up and they're regarded as higher up and are as equals. I'm not saying that it is. Definitely. You know, now I agree that there's so much more to do before we get there, but I think this is a stepping stone to getting there. And people who, you know, are against it really haven't thought about the fact that it's not today. There's a whole history that needs <laughs> to be taken into account as well. But then what would you say to the person who says, okay, but why don't we hire the best person for the job so that ABC, you know, the company can perform at its best level and so that society can, can move forward um, in the best capacity that it can? What would, what would you say to, to that person? I mean, and I understand their frustration and that's yeah. cool. But the thing is, is that, number one, that assumes that the black person is less qualified, which mm. isn't true. Number two, it doesn't necessarily mean that even if they are less qualified in this, like let's just take the case if they are less qualified, doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be taught to become more qualified. And yeah. that opportunity needs to be given to them. Just because they start off as less qualified doesn't mean that they can't do a better job when they are taught. And I think that that is something that needs to be taken into account. Um, because oh. there needs to be, sorry, Chloe, you can go. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say also in terms of, uh, they say, let's hire the best person. Yes, you're looking at how they can do the job, but sometimes the best person is the, uh, the person of color because if you're in a company and 90% of the people are white, but you're providing a service or a product that's going to go to a lot of black people and the only people looking at this product or service are white people, yeah. then no, you need, you need someone of color to, to, to have their opinions on it so that it can be... The best mm. exactly you can't that. only look at it from a qualifications point of view it, it, it's, exactly there's so many other aspects. so many nuances does yeah. that also does that also apply within the context of school when we're electing head boy head girl deputies um house captains should that yes. also be considered oh, and why 100 percent. 100 why though why david i think in the same sense that you have a head boy and a head girl because mm. it's two different minds you and i have two different minds based on the pure and simple reason that you are a boy and i'm a girl i hate to admit it but we do and so you have a head boy and a head boy a head boy and a head girl and for that exact same reason you need to have a diverse range of minds collaborating to form the best product in adverted commas because at the end of the day you, if you have like-minded people as you said in the other conversations you have a conversation swaying to one way but then you have maybe a more diverse group of students having a conversation and you can come up with a more liberal idea or solution or i just think yeah killy wants to add to this so Kelly. i just i just wanted to add in the context of specifically you know the forehead prefix i think you can't have four white people or four black people how are you supposed to you know represent a school that is multiracial if you're all one race and I think that, you know, celebrating simple things like Heritage Day and where you are the four representatives of the school, you need to have four separate identities and four separate, you know, heritages and, I, and yeah. cultures. And I think that that is important. And you can't just have four white people just because they might be the most full qualified. They, they're not. 
Yeah. It's too narrow-minded in, in that sense. Yeah, exactly. a, con- a conversation I heard, uh, and, and I was quite, you know, and, it, and it, it sparked a lot of interest for me because a lot of the conversation comes around is, is you know, within Red Hill, let's look at Red Hill, obviously it's, it's majority white um, if you look mm. at the demographics of it. However, when people are talking about leadership and head boys and head girls and they are throwing names out there, one person will say, but, you know, why why we need to ha- we need to put someone black in there and that even goes back to the institutionalized racism because that shows that we are taking that that that, that society hasn't progressed enough where we can you know put a put, where, where where it's white but actually no we need to take someone out to put black in just to fit the quotas and that is a massive massive problem that shows mm. that it's going much more subconsciously than we know and that shows that we need to dig it up much deeper than we know because um, the, it, 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 it's disgusting that we still have these preconceived misconceptions in our head of, of who we view as the of leadership. And just to fit a quota, we're going to take someone out and put somebody else in, you know? Uh, yeah, but Tom, I mean, I wouldn't think that... I, well, I guess I'm, I'm viewing it from a different perspective. Uh, because I would think that having a diverse, you know, um, heads of school and intentionally doing that, like actually thinking about it is actually a good decision. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. When I, you know, when I was in grade one and I was growing up, if I were to look at the heads of school, I wouldn't see anybody that looks like me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're growing up and you're growing up in private school, you, you learn a lot from your surroundings and we'll get to that in a moment. But I think that it's so important to intentionally pick people of, color for these positions if you want to create a school which has free thinkers i get that Um, but 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 i'm saying is why why in our heads has it gotten to the point where the people that have been put in there first and foremost in a lot of conversations is white people why why is that the main conversation why is that someone that why has they at, you have to look at Red Hill why for so many years has there been a major major majority of white leadership why is yeah. that what are the preconceived misconceptions what are our uh, the, 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 the deeply entrenched racism that goes beneath this 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 layer of of what, what we view people on the outside but what's it going into on the inside I mean where are these these ideas being put into our head that that's how we view it you know yeah absolutely okay after the break i want to get into a conversation more specifically around what's been going on in the last seven days and um the response by private schools you can actually phone us in on 011-083-8426 we'll be back after the song Right, guys, we are back for our third segment of our show. Um, thank you so much for staying with us. We are loving having this conversation. Um, I want to throw it to, I think, Sinpiwe wants to chat a little bit about what's going on in the world and what's been happening the past seven days. So, Sims, if you want to start us off. Okay, sure. So, as we all know, there's this um, Blackout Tuesday, people being called out for being silent taking up the hashtag black lives hashtag so where do you want me to start so there's just so much uh, yeah i want to yeah. i want to know everybody knows what's been happening everybody's been seeing the posts yeah or pretending to ignore the posts. one of the two yeah. right so i want to know is the response 
by white private school students sufficient? And if not, what are the effects of their silence? Okay. For me, what I've been... Okay, so let me just start from the beginning. I've been asking people why they are silent, okay? Mm -hmm. And some people have said to me that it's because either they're not um, on social media a lot or they just, they said they don't have to, they don't feel like they have to show their advocacy on social media. They can do it somewhere else. And just to add on that, your platform can reach so many other people, you know? Uh-huh. It, it doesn't, how can I say? Like social media, okay, for me, what I can say is if you post with understanding, uh-huh. if you're posting not to feel good about yourself, if you're posting for change and for your heart and your care for us, then I think you can post. But the reason why people are like, no, I don't feel like it because I'll be scrutinized, I feel like that's no. Because that would mean that you're posting for our val- validity. Validity. For our validity. Yeah. You know what I mean? For our validity instead of posting to create a change. Mm. You don't have to post um what's it called all the videos and stuff post solutions post as i i said this to some people post as a white person post mm. how you can use your white privilege post petitions you guys need to start the campaign you don't have to wait for us you know mm. you guys need to start this conversation you don't have to wait for us it's by you guys taking the initiative that's how i feel it can be so effective not just post and we'll see later mm. no um, you know what i mean yeah um i was gonna say that um where my kind of frustration came in was that people saw this video we all did and lots of people were saying i was so heartbroken okay um and i was heartbroken too um and not only that I was scared, I felt in danger, but I felt so angry, okay? I felt like outraged. And so I think we talk about there's so many lanes of protest that we can participate in. And a part of it is educating yourself. A part of it is having these important conversations. About the conversations, we need to make sure we're not just having them with white people and your white family and your white friends. You need other perspectives, first of all. Second of all, if, if there are different lanes, but if you are so angry, what's happening? Like every day I see these videos, I can't bear myself. If you're so angry, why can't you use every single lane? Every single lane possible I will use to stop this, to educate people people i think that's where mm. the frustration came yeah yeah and kelly um you know this it's been very frustrating for me um because obviously i saw the video as well i was extremely outraged and i hated it and it was painful for me to see and i'm not even under attack myself but you know what frustrates me the most is that you know these people people in my grade specifically i mean that's kind of the main people that i follow they are around and you know they they're online that's the problem is that you you know their defense is that they don't post on social media but they're online they're watching the stories but there's Mm. there's so much silence silence from them yeah and i just hate that you know people are saying that it's just it's just not worth ruining their aesthetic of their instagram i mean when last was anybody's aesthetic of their instagram having to talk about a, an innocent man dying. No one's aesthetic is that, you know? And I just think that, you know, 
this is the time you know you pride yourself on having two thousand three thousand followers those are the, this is the time when you should be proud of having that and that you can reach so many people i don't care about you running on a treadmill or the flowers that you got you know exactly. the three thousand people at this time don't either and rather use the platform to actually educate like and educate yourself i spent so much time educating myself this week because i at the beginning of this week i wasn't qualified to be talking as counterparts and you all of you guys were and i needed to make sure that i was educated to be able to educate other people yeah, because it's right. not your job to educate me it's myself and i've done that and i've learned so much and i've shared education resources and it just doesn't seem like people care and then you ask them white people you ask them well you know the new racist and they said no but i have a black friend and i'm like cool. yes. so your your token black friend to prove that you're not a racist but why are you not advocating for them because you're still not advocating for them which mm-hmm. you know maybe it doesn't make you racist but it makes you extremely ignorant and it's frustrated yeah. me a lot and it really you know now you have this platform and you're not using it and it really frustrates me and i think that mm-hmm. you know this is the time to to use it social media isn't about sharing about your dog you know yeah. we can't go outside we can't protest because you know we are in a global pandemic and you can't and now it's illegal to protest in South Africa and you've got to now use that and as Chloe said you know use all the lanes why can't, why do you only have to stick to one lane mm. and i think that you need to use it you need to be vocal because you can't be vocal out on the streets so be vocal on social media yeah yeah so something that might come across as a little bit controversial is when this whole thing exploded on social media which i'm sure people who who know me quite well know that I'm a little bit afraid of social media in the sense that I think it is a very dangerous platform in the same sense that is equally as beautiful and powerful and important in everyone's life. And mm. so when everything took to social media, I was a little bit like taken aback. I didn't know what I should do as someone who will never fully understand what it's like to be someone who is not white. Um I was confused, I was angry, I was upset, um and I didn't know what to do with myself and with my privilege. And so I took to internet and I took to researching articles and podcasts um and unfortunately I haven't read any books yet but I hope to one day and for me the most important thing I could do for myself and hopefully in doing justice for any person of color I know was educate myself on how I can use my white privilege and something I came across as what I think is a very important resource for anyone who's not entirely sure what white privilege is or how they can use their white privilege is um There's this woman and now her name slipped my mind, Peggy McIntosh, who is actually 85 years old, and she has been involved in many many activist movements. Um she's a feminist, she's American, um she's a feminist, she's a very um influential person in terms of racism and well anti-racism and she's put together this almost quiz, I guess you could call it, on how am I privileged and do I know like how do i acknowledge my privilege and something that kind of shocked me was like one of the questions said um can you turn on the tv or open a book or a magazine and is your race supported do you see a lot of people who look like you yeah. and i don't think about that like it's such an ignorant thing to say and i'm admitting it i don't think about that but when david mentioned a couple minutes ago when he was in grade 1 and he saw his four heads of school they didn't look like him and what does that do to someone's self esteem how does how is that justifiable and so i just i'm putting out a little bit of my two cents into the world yeah. right now and i'm saying 
that I found it so helpful to educate myself on the situation and to educate myself on my own privilege and where I stand in society as a white person. Because to be honest, I think a lot of people are living in, um, it's blissful to not know what's, what's going on in the world. It's easier to ignore it. It's easier to just turn off my phone and ignore what's happening outside. So that's I think what's, yeah, coming, coming from my side, uh, I think this, is, this means a lot more than the last seven days, right? Um, <clears throat> like for me and for a lot of people in the black community that have grown up in private schools, it means like from the age of five years old, like recognizing that you're black and trying to fit in more, you know? Mm. Like I remember being at picture day and my grandma would come with me for picture day and I would be ashamed to have my own grandmother next to me because she looked too African and um, she didn't look like the other grandmothers, you know? Um, I remember changing my accent from grade one. In grade one, Uh. being seven years old, changing my accent to speak to my white crush so I could, you know, kind of be more white, you know? It's like... It's like things, it's, 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 that's why I say black children in private school and in private schools and white children in private schools grow up with a different reality mm. because what black children have to realize from a really young age is they have to begin this fight to fit in. And that comes at a cost of sacrificing your own identity and your own, and your own heritage. Mm. And then you're left at 17 years old, 16 years old, um, you know, trying to unravel that being like, oh goodness, you know, I have neglected this my whole life. Let me try and unravel that. And let me start to learn my skin color and that's not an easy thing you know um and so i think it's great that we're having these conversations but this is not just about the last seven days mm-hmm. you know in grade seven you know i didn't know how to defend myself when one of my white friends would call me the effing k word you know at break like all you can do is laugh in that moment because you don't know i don't know how to defend myself around a whole other bunch of white kids you know like so that's why i think that when we focus on the last seven days and that's what we think about. Oh my goodness, I didn't post in the last seven days. Oh my goodness, I didn't reach out to this person in the last seven days. It's so much more than that. It's about the fact that we've been in high school for two and a half years. We've been conscious of racism for about two and a half years at least, right? And white people in private schools do not take the initiative to, you know, ask their black friends about their experiences, to ask their black friends about, you know, um, what are you hurting about? What have you gone through? And you know, we just bear witness to the racism going around us and we don't say a thing, you know, and then that just leaves black children to try and fit in more, try and fit in more, try and fit in more and ignore these things that come their way, you know, ignore all of this um, subtle, subtle racism that comes their way. And so when things like this happen and people are like, oh no, I don't post on social media because of my aesthetic. Oh, wow. Like it feels really good to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like Mm. black people have been uncomfortable for an extremely long time. Um, that was just my little two yeah. Would anyone like to add to that? Yes, um, yes. Oh, it's just, I get you, I get you. But also, just because we're closing off now, I think we should also, like, applaud the people that have been educating themselves, 100%. the people that have been asking questions, the people that have been taking initiative. Because at the end of it all, that's the goal, for us to all work together to end racism, well, mm. to potentially end racism. So, to everyone, <laughs> thank you so much, really. But yeah. 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 I think there's a long way to go. I don't yeah. know if we've even come a long way, but I definitely think that by doing little things like this, we are definitely making a change in someone's life, whether it be big or small. 
Um, and so I want to say thank you to everyone for joining us and for being honest, because that takes a lot of gut to come on here and talk to whoever many people are listening, however many people are listening. So, yeah, thanks to Chloe, Sims and Killy for joining us today. David, Thomas and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it from Red Radio for today.